Hey friends, this is Pastor Eric back with you again for our first Law Gospel Devotion of 2021. Today is January 5th, and I hope your New Year is treating you well thus far. Uh, looking forward to getting into today's passage, just like last week where we at least talked a little bit about baptism. Well, this week's passage is going to talk a lot about baptism, and I didn't pick it. It is the epistle text for this upcoming weekend, and there's good reason for why it was chosen. The passage, of course, is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Now, I have referenced this passage many times in previous discussions, in previous talks with people, especially considering that I'm a Lutheran pastor, and oftentimes when people uh, first encounter Lutheran theology, the big questions they have about it almost always have to do with our view of the sacraments, and specifically the biggest troubling issue for a lot of people is our view of baptism, that God's actually doing something in baptism. And so to show where that comes from, that it's not just something we inherited, let's say from you know Roman Catholic theology or something that we just didn't change because we didn't reform enough at the beginning of this whole Protestant Reformation process, I always try to go back to the scriptures with people, and this is one of those passages that is absolutely essential for understanding why we believe what we do, that in fact, in baptism, God is actually saving sinners, that he's bringing grace to sinners. So, so with that being said, let's go ahead and dive into our Law Gospel devotional for today. We're looking at, of course, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, but the first thing I want to go over is the context for Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. Uh, the reason Romans 6 is the epistle text for this weekend is because the gospel text for this weekend is, of course, the baptism of Jesus. Now, here I have a painting for you of Lucas Cronach's version of the baptism of Jesus. Why? Because, well, I'm pretty partial to Cronach as he was the great artist of the Reformation, specifically the Lutheran Reformation. And I love the way that he he sort of always contextualizes his art for the moment that he's living in, for the time that he's living in. And specifically, you can see in this painting here, uh, the, the Protestant reformers, the Lutheran reformers that are involved at the time standing next to uh, the baptized Jesus. And so that is the reason that I picked this for this weekend now, uh, or that this passage was chosen for this weekend by those who were putting together the lectionary. Now, on top of that, um, we need to get a little bit of the context for Romans 6, 1 through 11. It doesn't come out of nowhere. In my weekly podcast with my co-host Dan Price, we're constantly saying as we're going through books of the Bible that sometimes the chapter breaks really aren't helpful and they make us think that there's an entirely different stream of thought uh, at the beginning of each chapter. In fact, that is not often the case, and much of the time it's fairly arbitrary as to when they put the chapter break. So to get the context, uh, basically Paul has been explaining the outrageous nature, the scandalous nature of the gospel of grace, and he ends chapter 5 with these words, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 
Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. And here's, here's the real scandalous part. But where sin increased, grace abounded or super multiplied all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. As I said, Paul is dropping absolute gospel bombs in this passage. That is, a, it's a scandalous idea that where sin increases, grace increases all the more. And when you, when you preach the gospel like this, when you declare it for all that it is, well, you shouldn't be surprised when people basically respond with this question, which is the very first verse of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Since, you know, no matter how much sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Are you saying that we should continue to live in sin? That we should continue to act as though Lord sin is our master? That is a very common question. I have been asked that. I cannot tell you how many times in my pastoral ministry, and frankly, long before that, as I would preach the gospel of grace that declares the forgiveness of sins to even the worst of sinners, gratis. And so, you know, the, the question really is reframed by the great poet W.H. Auden, where he pictures Herod coming across the wise men that we just went over this last Sunday in the lectionary text, and the wise men tell the king Herod about this Jesus that's coming to forgive sinners. And Herod says, it, it's of course uh, fictional, but Auden has Herod saying, if people find out that this is how God acts, well, then they're going to say, criminals are going to say, I like committing crimes, God likes forgiving them. You may have heard this sort of paraphrase when people say most of the time jokingly, I like sinning and God likes forgiving. That's the objection here. Whenever we hear the gospel that, yes, indeed, forgiveness has been totally won for us, apart from us, gratis, graciously, on account of the work of Jesus Christ. So these are the objections. And what does Paul say in verse 2? How does he respond? By no means. Heaven forbid. That's another way of translating that. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul takes us a matter of fact with great offense. I mean, he's hurt and offended and hurt that we who are Christians have died to sin. Well, the question then comes, Paul, where in fact did we die to sin? And that's where we're going to dig into the content of our passage today. What does Paul say in response to that question when he declares that we have died to sin? Well, he will say this, where we died to sin is in our baptism. Listen to verses three and four. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Where did we die to Lord's sin? In our baptism. 
Now, two very important details here because I have found that people are programmed very often to read any passages about baptism in, well, I think unique ways. And so I want to be very clear here. I shouldn't say unique ways, but very typical ways, especially here in the United States. Number one, Paul does not say anything here about baptism merely symbolizing your death to Lord's sin. No, he says, in fact, in your baptism, you did die. There's no hint of symbolic language here or that he's not describing actual events. That is to say, in the sight of God, when you are baptized, the old Adam, the old man, as Scripture refers to him, was declared to be dead in the sight of God. God really does something in baptism. He kills and he makes alive. That's made abundantly clear in verses 3 and 4. As a matter of fact, Paul doesn't even really try to defend the thought here. It was so common, the teaching that he is presenting here, that he just lists it off as a matter of fact as an evidence for his case for why we ought not live in sin anymore or under Lord's sin anymore. But there's a second thing that you should notice here, because when you hear this, that we have died to sin, your first thought is, okay, does that mean then that if I have sin or that I struggle with sin, that that means the baptism must have not really taken or that I don't really believe enough? Well, here's a little hint for you, and it's actually something you'll find throughout the passage. The fact that Paul uses the subjunctive mood in verse 4, that, that part where he says that we too, quote, might walk in newness of life, that might walk is the subjunctive mood. Well, that tells us that even though we have been declared, as theologians will say it, forensically declared dead and alive in the sight of God, we will still battle with sin as long as we walk out our days in this life. He doesn't say that, he doesn't, he doesn't use a different mood here. He doesn't say that we will walk in newness of life or that we already do walk in newness of life. He says that we might walk in newness of life. So I want to make it very clear. This passage is not, I repeat, not teaching some sort of perfectionism, as is evidenced, of course, by what Paul will write in the very next chapter that you can find in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, where he confesses his ongoing struggle with sin. It's a reality for every person. And this is why we talk about the life of the Christian being simul justus et peccator, that we are simultaneously saint because of what God has declared us to be through faith in Christ. And yet also we are sinners. We are people that continue to struggle with sin every day of our lives, as long as we live, we live out these days. So why can baptism produce death and life in the sight of God? Tell me, Paul. Fair enough. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him, the word united there is a perfect. It's an indicative verb. A perfect is something that's happened in the past and, and is done it's accomplished, and yet it has ongoing effects. We have been united with Christ. We shall certainly be united 
future indicative with him in a resurrection like his. So verse 5 declares two things to us that sort of get to this already and not yet theme that we find all, all the time in Scripture. First of all, as Peaches and Herb told us, we're reunited to God. It's already been done in our baptism because we died with Christ there. We were united with him and died with him. And because we're reunited, it feels so good. But also there's this, this kind of back to the future component here where, where we have not, we know this, we're not risen yet. We're still in this, as Paul calls it, this body of death. And yet it is a guarantee that because we have been baptized into Christ and united with him, that we will also be united with him in the future, that we shall certainly be united, Paul says it here. So our baptism is telling us what is accurate of us now in the sight of God and also pronouncing to us what will be true of us then in the future. As you can see, this passage is chocked with good news. Now, what's the purpose of baptism, Paul? Well, I think in verses 6 through 10, he really spells that out. Quote, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Again, there's that subjunctive mood, might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That's a present active verb. The, the idea is that because we have been crucified in our baptism, this ought to, this will, in fact, produce... Um, it, more and more uh, until we die, this will produce this new life in us. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, when I read that, again, I, you got to get away from the perfectionism stuff. When it says set free from sin, it means set free from sin's hold on you. Think of sin as being a master that's chaining you up, enslaving you. It doesn't mean that you don't give in to sins, that you don't struggle with sins, but it means that it no longer is your owner. Sin no longer possesses you. Of course, you're going to struggle with sins for the rest of your life, but it is not your master. You have been transferred into the domain of another master at your baptism. Verse 8, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. Future indicative. Again, there's that promise. We have died, and therefore we believe we will also live. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him, just as Lord sin and death no longer has dominion over you. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all but the life he lives, he lives to God. What's the purpose of baptism? Well, it's, it's pretty simple, that we are set free to live. Baptism is the hole through which we are able to find our freedom, illustrated, of course, by maybe my favorite movie of all time, The Shawshank Redemption and the great scene when the, uh, the, the, the warden looks through the hole that had been carved behind the poster of Andy Dufresne's cell and knows for certain that Andy Dufresne has escaped. In the, and then, of course, the wonderful scene where he finally 
is free and it, it's actually a great picture of baptism he's being rained upon and he's got new clothes the next scene it's a wonderful wonderful picture of baptism for us but anyhow the purpose is that we be set free to live and then paul wraps up our passage in verse 11 with believe it or not and i would imagine most of you might not know this the very first imperative in the entire book of romans so far that's right it takes paul six well five total chapters and 10 verses into chapter six before he mentions his first imperative statement and what is that imperative so you also must consider yourselves imperative dead to sin and alive to god in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God? Well, you know, the illustration I, I've always thought about is um, found in the movie and really the story of The Last Emperor. I, I don't know if you've seen this movie. It's a very, very long movie, but it really tells the story of how The Last Emperor of China was uh, basically made emperor at a very young age. I think it was about three years old because his parents had died and he was the rightful heir to the throne. Now, in, in all reality, when he was made heir at three years old, he truly was the emperor. But what the film does a great job of depicting for us is it takes his whole life to get used to this identity and what it means to walk in the clothes of an emperor. And that's true with us too. Our identity is sealed. It is completely fixed at our baptism. And yet we walk the rest of our days getting used to this identity. Or in other words, considering ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Learning again and again that that is our true and better identity. Because that's what God says of us at our baptism. Now... The other question is, how do you consider yourself dead to sin but alive to God on a regular basis? What does it look like to grow into that identity? Well, here you're not going to be surprised, but I'm going to tell you our dear brother Luther nailed it. Absolutely nailed it with this. There's no one that actually um, really, really boasts in the power and greatness of one's baptism more than Luther. And so I'm going to tell you something that we Lutherans are quite fond of saying when we think about considering ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. Remember your baptism. Yes, I say again, remember your baptism. How do you get used to considering yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ? Remember what God says he's done for you in your baptism. What does he say? You were crucified there with him, and you have been made alive with him and will one day reign with him. That is what is promised in connection with your baptism here in this passage. Now, remembering your baptism really is simply another way of saying, remember who God has declared you to be. Luther puts it this way in his large catechism. Baptism is not a work that we do but a treasure that God gives us and faith grasps. In baptism, therefore, every Christian has enough to study and practice all his or her life. Thus, we must regard baptism and put it to use in such a way 
that we may draw strength and comfort from it when our sins or conscience oppress us and say, but I am baptized. And if I have been baptized, I have the promise that I shall be saved and have eternal life, both in soul and body. That's taken directly out of Luther's large catechism, which is found in our book of Concord, if you want to read more. just But you see how baptism for Luther is not merely this one-time event, but it is something that we're constantly going back to when we're oppressed by our sins and our ongoing struggles in life, when we feel that we might not even be Christians because we have these ongoing sin issues. Luther counsels when you're feeling a lack of assurance, go back to that objective event at which God says in those waters, when you were baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, into Christ, you were crucified with him and made alive. Go back there because you can't, you can't change that. That's an objective fact that God says he's delivered to you. All right, so the point of these devotions, of course, is to at least point out, even if you're already starting to pick up on it, where law and gospel are in here. Well, it's pretty obvious that the law is all over the place because it's revealing our condition as fallen sinners in this passage. I mean, this passage is full of reminders that we need to die to sin. That is certainly uh, that is certainly a, uh, a result of our being in a fallen world and being in these fallen bodies that, that we need to die. It's the wages of sin is death. And yet... Even as the law tells us that, the gospel proclaims to us in this passage again and again and again that in our baptism, we have already been crucified with Christ, that we have died there with Christ. Now you say, well, what if I didn't feel like it? What if I don't even remember my baptism because I was a baby when I was brought to the waters of baptism? Doesn't change the promises attached to baptism at all. God says what he says about this event, and he has promised to do what he said he would do. Yes, I know, it seems way too easy. It seems like we need to have more skin in the game. No, friends. God is doing the verbs, all the verbs. And so, in our baptism, what's delivered to us is all of the work of Jesus Christ. There on the cross, all of our sin our pride and our lust and our malice and our deceit and our gossip and everything else that's mentioned on this cross here is taken on upon Christ. And in our baptism, God delivers us all of the righteousness of Christ. Yes, it's that simple. It's true. God is in the business of making sinners dead and bringing them back to life by uniting us with Jesus in those waters. And that, my friends, is incredible good news. How do you consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus? By never forgetting and by constantly being reminded of what God has done for you at the waters of baptism. All right, gang, that is it for our Law Gospel Devotion for this week, uh, Tuesday, January 5th. I hope it has been uh, encouraging to you, and I hope you go on to have a great rest of your week. God's richest blessings to you. Bye.